0: Well, 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 welcome to our Earth Crumbling Podcast. My name is Curry Or. Karri, or karri, or kurri. K-A-R-R-I. I live in Torun, Poland. The voice in my head for the next few hours, likely, is living close to Father Christmas, as it happens. Henrike. And still not that
1: close. We have been distanced from Father Christmas for some time. Ever since after last holiday break, Father Christmas went got completely drunk and made it complete ass of himself oh dear what about the reindeers yeah well you know I'm I'm living ve- very close with the reindeers
0: well at least you have some drinking pals still
1: yes and you know who knows maybe in these coming months I managed to have some very sensual and erotic relationship with Rudolf
0: my goodness well to continue on um Since we're talking about drinking, I was planning to get to the H2O drinking challenge. Head on. The H2O drinking challenge consists of three bottles of beer, two glasses of white wine, and one glass, half glass of vodka. What about you, mister? Are you taking the same challenge? Oh, I missed the coffee.
1: Well, since you... uh, Threw it up. Yeah, I guess I can take you on.
0: (laughs) I'm likely to lose this one because I take ages to drink just one drink. But regardless, I'm pretty sure we will be having enough fun to get past this podcast once again.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, for this movie, what I'm packing up here correctly, correctly is Gatao which is white wine from Portugal and a bottle of Boris vodka.
0: All right. Let's see what I have. I was in a bit of a rush and we just realized with Henrik that it looks like all the drinks in, in the movie are, the brands are fake. So what I got was Radler Varka, that's a beer, and then two different Okocim beers, Jasne Okocimskie ja Polskie Ale. Or ale in this case. The wine is something that the shop guy recommended. Cantine Paolini uh, Sicilienne, I suppose it says. Inzolia, Sicilia. And the vodka is. The guy gave me two vodkas from which to choose from. He gave me, as it happens, Finlandia and Torunska. So, Torunska is the local, obviously, from Torun. Torunska Piernikowa. So, that's what we're gonna take here
1: well i guess we both have enough booze you know to stay professional once again
0: i i I, there there's a high probability
1: (laughs) yeah the the alcohol consumption in this podcast is something that really speaks to our talents when it comes to making movie podcasts
0: (laughs) well halloween h2o how is your headspace towards h2o what's your history with h2o I guess it's again kind of a shared history between you and me. <laughs>
1: yeah, we have gone through this couple of times now. Missed it when it was in theaters because I was underage to get get inside to see the actual film, so I had to wait until the VHS came out. After which I could, or I most certainly could not buy it from any dark and somewhat demilited used movie stores.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Me, if I remember correctly, I skipped the whole VHS craze and went straight to DVD with Halloween H2O. I gotta say that you were probably ahead of me with the Halloween craze because I don't ever remember, like, looking forward to this movie. I probably knew nothing about it until it just landed in the stores. And there it was more halloween
1: yeah i followed the theatrical release on the news front and through reviews when it came out and was quite excited about the film back in the day
0: yeah then again i remember waiting on halloween resurrection like crazy and i even made like a big microsoft document in which i included all the facts and interviews and pictures that I had collected all over the internet and because it was directed by Rick Rosenthal I was excited but that's for the next episode and it turned out to be a quite a disappointment to say the least. But uh, H2O, yeah how many times do you think you have seen it?
1: I would say four or five times this time with counting in Yeah. I bought the VHS box set when it came out There was a VHS box. Or or, or years after when it came out, after I was first, of course, legal age. Mm. And with that, there was the T-shirt, the the official T-shirt. And then there was the film and Halloween 3. So basically, buying the box set was how I first came into contact and seeing Halloween 3.
0: And let me guess, in this box set you had... All the Halloweens except Halloween 6. No, it, it only had H20 and
1: H20 and Halloween 3. Ah, I see. Because yeah, every, every other entry in the franchise in Finland had to be hunted down separately. Once again, <laughs> yeah. using these smaller video stores as your guide map because the local distribution companies did not stack the film on their shelves
0: yeah i remember it being a it was pretty hard to find copies of these movies what was the retailing company that was was egmont somehow related to this it it probably was related to halloween
1: age 20 Yeah, and the previous entries came through future
0: film right yes yeah i remember and during the time when my Halloween mania was at its highest, I was of course hunting for Halloween 6. We somehow didn't manage to discuss this part in the previous episode, even though we discussed like everything else you could possibly imagine. But Halloween 6, there was some kind of a trouble with this movie. It wasn't released in Finland until I think could have been 2003, 2005, I'm not completely sure, but it was always missing from my collection, and then I made some effort to get it, and I actually ordered the VHS from the United States. <laughs>
1: so okay.
0: That kind of added to the whole mystique of Halloween 6 and how exciting it was to finally see it, and producers got, but uh, terrible stuff. But I think in today's movie, the quality bar has raised... Uh, Considerably. At least if you look at cinematography, the uh, acting, things like this.
1: Well, uh, at least today's movie, Michael Myers is actually doing some actual slashing instead of it just being done by the editor.
0: Yeah, yeah. so no f- no fear for epileptic seizures for all of our listeners, so go ahead. This is the grandiose return, as you phrased it in the previous episode of... Jamie Lee Curtis and the character Laurie Strode, kind of a, this was supposed to be the big return to form after the years of shit shows that had been bothering the Halloween franchise. And not only that, possibly in the beginning they weren't even thinking of kind of having an exceptional quality to the movie, but I'm sure that kind of, came around it naturally when they thought that they could get Jamie Lee Curtis back, then they kind of have to make it right. And it was the 20th anniversary since the first Halloween. So this is the the big one. It's a direct um, continuation from Halloween 1 and Halloween 2. So this is the first one that's starting to mess with the continuity or the canon of the series.
1: As far as I've gathered, this actually... The whole starting of the project kind of came from Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah, <clears throat> who contacted the producers that she would like to return the role of Laurie Strode and the company should try to kind of a, make a new entry on the franchise for the 20th anniversary,
0: yeah. The way I understood it is that it started the whole project with the best intentions and Jamie Lee Curtis was really pumped about it and she wanted to get the old crew together at, at least John Carpenter and possibly some others. There was also talks that PJ Souls could have been the uh, what is this like the uh, school principal or, or the, the person that um, became uh, to be Janet Lee's character Norma. But uh BJ Souls, uh, this uh, original actor of original Halloween with the character Linda, she wasn't sure if if it would be a good idea to introduce her again as another character later in the Halloween series. So she kind of never gave a clear answer if she would be interested to be in this uh, new one, and then the producers and the, the crew had to do something, and then they went with Janet Lee. And apparently, John Carpenter
1: was not eventually tied down as the director for this film
0: because of paychecks. Yeah, yeah, it's John Carpenter, and John Carpenter is always kind of worried about his paychecks. Yeah, I, there's nothing wrong about that. That's that's good. First things first, right? But yeah, but
1: goes to show that once again, this is Dimension Films' product.
0: Yeah, and I understand that John Carpenter was supposed to indeed direct this movie, but the producers, I think mainly Akkad, didn't want to give him the quite high paycheck of 10 million. But at the end of the day, that would have probably paid itself back, and who knows, if Carpenter would have been in this project, he could have gotten some old friends uh, to join the project as well, like who knows, Dean Cundey, or some special effects guys, or stunt people or other actors but that never happened and after that it seems that uh, the kind of idea that Jamie Lee Curtis was hoping to build here kind of fell apart and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis I believe she has been quoted as saying that this was really just at the end made for the money started with the best intentions but then it just became a project about money for her That's kind of unfortunate, but it didn't turn out too bad, as we will see, at least in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I also remember liking this one quite a lot. Okay. Of course, it helps that there was this whole road we have to take with the franchise to get to this point. After five and six, the bar has
0: been lower, quite low. Yeah, it's been a bumpy road. For us to to get to this point, and I was waiting for this right after the beginning of Halloween Five. But Halloween H20 also
1: kind of marks this interesting point of setting the trend how the franchise will work from now on, or from this point onwards. In a way that there comes the reboot. It has one sequel, which is complete shit. Then there is a long hiatus comes a reboot, has one sequel, comes a long hiatus, and now, 2018, we once again have a soft reboot. So if, you know, you or the listeners would like to spoilers for the whole franchise for the next 50 years, it's going to go so that now the oncoming Halloween film will be okay, or maybe even good. It's going to have one sequel, then there's going to be a long hiatus. Six years onwards, there's going to be a soft reboot. It's going to have one sequel, and then there's going to be a long hiatus. And you know, that that's what's going to happen. So, spoilers for the entire oncoming franchise.
0: <clears throat> I accidentally read something online which kind of suggested that this newest movie is supposed to be, maybe, uh, again, some kind of a Grand finale, like H2O kind of was supposed to be, at least in one point.
1: Oh boy, yeah, that's a but... promise I haven't heard not yeah. even once in this goddamn franchise. Yeah, I mean, uh, the amount I... of grand finales in Halloween is kind of a story of, or, or, or a topic of its own.
0: Yeah, we we should have five podcasts only about that. Yeah. But really, I hope they'll just be honest to themselves. And they they should not even try to kill Michael Myers or, in fact, Laurie Strode in this new one. Because, oh boy, it's just gonna go wrong. Like it went with Resurrection, granted it was horrible. But just don't, don't keep killing off these main characters. It's not gonna win you any fans. It just doesn't work. You have to reboot it again and again and again. And it will happen. You will make the next one. Because this one will be successful, semi, at least moderately successful, and probably the most successful horror movie of, of this year. So, as it's the, probably the most anticipated horror movie of the year by far. So, please do not kill the main characters, because you will continue back to the writing board anyway with the new movie.
1: Then again, Halloween has a lot of experience about killing its main characters since it has done it. Oh, Almost in every card game entry to this franchise. Yeah.
0: And when was the last time that you actually liked it?
1: It was okay in Halloween 2 with Michael burning to the, the crisp Yeah, okay. And Ro- Lo- Lo- Laurie Strode dying off off camera as we learned in Halloween 4.
0: And damn it. I guess if you count Wendy Kaplan as the main character, then yes. I mean, sorry, that's not the... I don't want to kill the actor, but the uh, character, Tina.
1: Well, she kind of was in Halloween 5. Yeah. As unfortunate as that was. But yeah, when it comes to, you know, Michael, Michael has basically been killed off in every goddamn entry of this franchise, not with counting Halloween 5 and Halloween 6. Yeah. But that. other than that, Halloween Michael has... Pretty much bitten the bullet strike three times now and declared dead, only to return on the next film. Rory has been already killed once, only to make a return now at age 20. And well, yeah, Tina was killed in on her own ride on Halloween 5.
0: Should we go scene by scene once again, pretty much through the movie?
1: Oh, uh, I guess we have to get this show on the road.
0: Yep. Well, we start with two guys who have a hobby of throwing eggs to windows, apparently. We are reintroduced to the character of Marion Chambers again. Or is it Marion Whittington now? I don't understand why they had to change the surname, but but looks like Marion got married, apparently. If you look at the script, there's Pamela Whittington, and then Pamela Whittington became Marion Whittington. And Marion Chambers became Marion Whittington, something like that. So the chain-smoking nurse is back. She has taken care of Sam Loomis' character for some years in her apartment, I understand. And somebody has now broken into this home. And who could it be? Might be Mikey Myers. Well,
1: my money is on chosen Gordon Lewis as the culprit.
0: Well, yeah, it's kind of a shared break-in, because Joseph Gordon-Lewitt steals three beers, which is why we have three beers here in the recording studios.
1: can that he's never actually shown drinking any of those beers. So yeah. there, there goes your drinking challenge right off the bat.
0: Yeah, well... You are drinking uh, more than Joseph Gordon-Lewitt in this film. Well, this story doesn't tell how many did he drink before he got the ice skate to his face. You know, could have been
1: just just an accident.
0: <laughs> Drunken accident.
1: Drunken accident. <laughs> or, or then after all those years in all those years on the third rock from the sun he once again kept his eyes closed.
0: <laughs> this scene features the mask or one of the masks that was produced for Halloween six actually. When Michael Myers comes to the other flat where Jimmy is. He comes to the door and turns to Marion. That's the Halloween six mask. And I think they use it throughout this scene, I think.
1: It's hard to keep track on the masks because there is mm-hmm. so goddamn many of them in this movie.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty curious Shit show with the masks again. I'm wondering why they had to use Halloween 6 mask here. Maybe they t- still didn't produce the mask that they wanted to introduce in this one. Uh, they I had be- one in crop storage and something had to do with it. Yeah, I mean Halloween 4, the mask was designed for the head of George B. Wilbur. Then again, George P. Wilbur came back on Halloween 6 to reprise his role. And uh, I think it's a little bit huge, the mask. I think the guy's head is quite huge. So perhaps because of this reason, they again had to change the mask. And uh, this time, the actor of Michael Myers is Chris Durand. He was nicknamed Shapey by Jamie Lee Curtis when, when working on Halloween H2O. What do you think about the performance of Shapey?
1: I think it's better than maybe the performances in
0: Halloween Five and Halloween Six. I agree. I agree that there is some kind of um, perhaps cat-like quality back there again, or some kind of a robotic movement, kind of very assured, very determined movement in this character. When you see his head turn around rapidly when the police sirens are coming to the vicinity, and Michael is in the house. I like that. It's really subtle. These small little things. I think he's doing a pretty good job in these certain aspects, but then again he's doing a sit show of an aspect in other parts, and we'll get to that later. We have opening title scene, but it's again without the pumpkin. I wonder why they don't want to use the pumpkin. I mean, that would have been a really great throwback to the original films, but just no. Among some of these newspaper clips that you see on the wall, I believe one of them, or some of them, were supposed to be kind of explaining to you what happened to uh, the Daniel Harris character, Jamie Lloyd, because the original script actually did not ignore 4, 5, and 6. It tried to glue them all together, and actually in the final film you see... One photo that has scissors and some blood. I believe that could have been a reference to Halloween 5 and the Rachel character's death. What do you think? At what point did you see that image? Well, it's somewhere uh, halfway between this uh,
1: credit sequence. Okay. Yeah. Could be. I most likely then have missed it. However, something that I won't miss is the whole... Thorn trilogy which is now being taken out of canon by this film.
0: I can completely understand why they removed the so-called Thorn trilogy out of the picture because if they would keep it in the serious timeline then I mean well you could do that but the, and you could kind of keep it on the down low you can keep it in the background so that only the hardcore fans can notice it and uh, that it would not confuse the average Halloween fan or the horror fan but even still if you would include that then there it just gets overly complicated and I can see why they would not want to do that and uh, it was the director's choice Steve Miner said that we're going to cut this thorn stuff out and uh, it was a choice that wasn't agreed by everyone It wasn't agreed on by all the fans. But in the end, perhaps it was the right choice. Because it it would get too complicated and convoluted and confusing. Not only
1: that, but it was, on its own right, completely stupid. Yeah. So, you know, good riddance from my part.
0: Yeah, same here. And you noticed that uh, I gave a thumbs down to the entire Thorn trilogy. So, it's not a big problem for me.
1: yeah. Too bad for Halloween 4.
0: Yeah, I don't have a problem with Halloween 4 so much. But um, even if you kept Halloween 4 there, then you have to explain all this stuff why Laurie Strode is alive again and all that kind of crap. But if you notice something here, I believe it was in Halloween 4, the script where they said that Laurie Strode died in a car accident uh, along with her husband. Yep. Yeah, right. And here there are doing a kind of something different. Only only now it was just a faked accident so that Laurie Strode could continue on living elsewhere without the baggage of Michael Myers.
1: And the husband had nothing to do with the plan. Since yes. uh, In this continuity, Laurie Strode simply divorced her husband. Did she? There is a mention mentioning that from Laurie's kid, John, that... So his father walked away.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I wonder if it was Jimmy. Probably not. He was like a meth addict.
1: Yeah, you know, it's hard to say, you know, who it was. We can only know who it wasn't, and it wasn't Ben Tramer.
0: Yeah. In the script for H2O, this is uh, some kind of an early second draft. There, Michael Myers actually goes again to the graveyard, get the fake tombstone of Laurie Strode and uh, in the same grave actually is supposed to be the real grave of Jamie Lloyd. Uh, It's really weird. But Michael Myers goes get this tombstone and later Carrie Tate slash Laurie Strode finds this tombstone in her own bedroom. If you read the script kind of the building blocks of it are pretty much the same but the script movie is still a completely different movie, I would say. There are some similar characters. There is Carrie Tate, there is Molly, there is John. Then there are some friends of uh, John and Molly that have completely different names, and there's completely different events happening. Maybe we can go through the entire script right here, and pretty much because it's kind of fascinating. So. Here are pretty much all the main differences of the script. Instead of the slit throat, Marion gets the knife into her skull and Michael cracks the skull. There's some actually pretty inventive deaths in this one. Then we're getting in this film also to the kitchen scene. There are some weird and kind of awkward dialogue like. Laurie says, where are you going? To John. John replies, to the bathroom. Can I do that alone or do you want to watch? And Laurie responds, I thought you'd never ask. Then Carrie puts her arm around John, escorts him out of the kitchen, and John replies, you're twisted. And Laurie responds, I know. Most of the dialogue is terrible, and it was quite considerably improved and changed, I believe, by this Scream guy. Some extensive uh, rewrites was done by Kevin Williamson, or at least what they call touch-ups. Yeah, he, he's the screenwriter-producer. He was involved in various areas of production. He wasn't credited in the movie, but he helped in a lot of situations. He also came up with the terrible paramedic storyline that explained how Michael survived the ending.
1: No wonder he is not credited.
0: Yeah, there's that. And I didn't know this before I started my research for this episode. Uh, they actually filmed... A day after the principal photography had ended, they actually filmed the flashback scenes of Halloween Resurrection, at least for some of the part, and later utilized it in the film's sequel about four years later. So, Also, the original working title for the film was Halloween 7, The Revenge of Laurie Strode. In the script that I read, <laughs> uh, it's also having this title but the Revenge of Laurie Strode part has been crossed out. <laughs> uh, what a terrible, terrible title. Anyway, there are still, regardless of the rewrite, some terrible lines in this film. I do not like the line, Michael Myers. Yeah, right. I mean, they are over-pronouncing, over him already in the first five minutes of the film, and this whole Kevin Williamson starting scene where Marion is attacked. I do not like it. I do not like it. It's very Scream-esque, and it doesn't just fit here, because you get the shape in, in the first three minutes or so, and that kind of takes the effect away for the rest of the movie, not least because Laurie is having a lot of flashbacks in the next scenes and dreams, and these lose their effectiveness when you bring michael myers to to the front of the camera so soon
1: i don't know i never had that problem with the opening of the film yeah in in fact if something i kind of always took that something that reminded me of halloween one in that early throat slashing yeah right and michael sura's hair is more effective as a as a character or as a serial killer at the opening of the film than once the movie really gets going.
0: Yeah, because he's not stopped by ancient ruins, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and because, you know, he actually manages to kill someone at the beginning of this film. Not so much, you know, once Michael actually gets to the school grounds.
0: Yeah, Michael is more effective here, more menacing, more straightforward. Whereas in, I felt in just three years earlier in Halloween 6, he was just tumbling f- full.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, in in Halloween 6, Michael basically was reduced to just
0: work as a tool for the cult. I just work here, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, trying to shake that image off now. One interesting thing about the title sequence is also that they didn't use the original voice of Donald Pleasence as Sam Loomis in those throwback lines. Like, I met him 15 years ago. I, th- I was told there was nothing left. Then I started to think about it. Like, why they would not use the original dialogue. But um, there was something else that they did use. Yes, in the dream sequence, in the beginning of Laurie Throat Caritate, they have... F- They have thrown in some film clips of the original Halloween when Laurie Strode is in in the... They were able to use that, but they weren't able to use the voice of Donald Pleasence. I think the reason is the same that I was thinking in the episode that we did for Halloween 1978. I think they don't anymore have the separate audio tracks for the movie. So they cannot separate probably the music from Donald Pleasence's voice. So they are all on top of each other. So it would be a mess to kind of separate them digitally and it w- would be too much effort and it probably wouldn't work anyway. So maybe that's the reason. Maybe. It could be. Hard,
1: hard to say since I'm not an expert on how difficult it is to separate audio tracks from yeah. each other or how difficult it would be on a professional machinery, you know, just have this scene role and mute basically in the entire scene and then just try to record
0: for example Donald presence's line delivery. Yeah. I like the detail of the scar in Laurie's arm. So when she wakes up we can see that there's the scar from the Michael's knife from the original movie. I like that. I didn't notice it before. It's there, yeah. Did you see that?
1: Yeah. I did pick up on that. Yeah. And I also thought that it it shows that the movie is actually trying to follow up and pay homage to the original film. From these small things, you can tell that Age 20 is really trying to be a worthy sequel or a worthy soft reboot for the franchise.
0: Again, the opening titles also remind me of the musical score of this film, which is kind of um an- oddity. I read that there has never been released a soundtrack for this movie there is of course original music for this movie but there's also some tracks that are taken from the uh, Scream movies, maybe because they ran out of time, maybe because they want to make homage all over the place. And There was also some additional music added on top of John Ottman because uh, somebody didn't like The soundtrack. It was this, our friend, Bob Weinstein. He demanded that the musical changes must be made after he was dissatisfied with Ottman's score. Yeah, here it is kind of also interesting to note
1: that the Scream franchise moved to Dimension films at the Scream 2, which is something that may explain some of the small details you might pick up on 820. 20 For example, with one movie clip that is being played later on this film, there could be kind of a also attempt from Dimension Films' part to push out the Scream 2.
0: Yeah, and generally I don't like the approach that they take here. I kind of get it that they need to modernize it and probably change it, I guess. But it's taken a, more like a, again like a scream-like touch. It's more orchestral. They could have just kept it more simple. But they they didn't. And it, in some points even the music is kind of a it has this light-hearted touch. Kind of, there's kind of comical sound
1: to it. And then again the original soundtrack for this film was supposed to be even more orchestral. Really? Yeah. I mean that's pretty much the problem why Bob Weinstein demanded those changes to be made to the soundtrack of this film. The original soundtrack that was planned was supposed to be much more grandiose and actually use orchestral tunes.
0: Yeah, there are some tunes, there are some moments that I enjoy about the soundtrack. Like for example, when the title's Halloween H Duo comes on the screen, superimposed, and uh, there's this I like the music at this point. There there are moments, and maybe the music when Michael stabs Will in, in his back, which is of course a throwaway to Halloween 2. There's too many throwbacks in this movie. It it's, uh, it's made to the point where it becomes distracting for me a bit.
1: Well, the first draft of the soundtrack or the most original vision was to my knowledge never produced. So I haven't been able to listen to the very first idea of the soundtrack of this film, but from what I've gathered from interviews and notes about how that soundtrack would have played out had it been produced, I'm kind of I'm almost going on from the limb saying that I, I like the final soundtrack better.
0: Yeah, and if we're talking about the so-called... Halloween H2O producer's cut which our podcast was was able to get our hands on it's unclear if this is actually a producer's cut Uh, well let's suppose it is because that's how it's named but the producer's cut bootleg is basically the same as the final movie I'm still unsure if there are any differences in cuts I haven't still watched it in completely
1: there are but,
0: some uh, v- extremely little and
1: not that noticeable differences yeah. between between the producers and the theatrical cut of this film. Yeah, we are talking about basically some changes to the sound, and then on top of that, I would say only a few seconds of changes in the visual material.
0: Yeah the sound is much more different because it's, I believe, using mostly the sound that was recorded during the filming, and uh, so it hasn't been touched yet. But how I was trying to bridge this conversation to producers' cut is that, yeah, the music heard on this cut is, for the most part at least, different. Looks like it's just some placeholder material. I'm still kind of curious where where it's coming from. But uh, so far, no idea. Could be some of the Scream music. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, could be. Because, like I said, there is kind of a push for, you know, showing off Scream 2 in age 20. And the the differences between the producer's cut and the theatrical cut kind of most notably comes to play when it comes, you know, showing parts of Scream 2 in age 20. But later on in the film, there is that one scene where we follow the two main girls in their room just before the school curator. Was he like
0: a psychologist
1: or something? He, he was something. But anyways, you know, at the scene when Will Brennan character enters the two main girls' room, you can see the TV screen on the background. Do you want to die tonight? Exactly that moment. And in the theatrical cut, those scenes are from Scream 2, while in producer's cut, they use clips from the film So I Married an ex Murderer, which is an old uh, comedy film from Mike Myers.
0: Oh, yeah, I read about this, that they changed it to Scream 2 or, or Scream in post. But I haven't seen the original yet in the producer's cut. That's interesting. Yeah,
1: that's kind of the most notable visual change between the two versions.
0: Yeah, the director, Steve Miner, he originally wanted Jerry Goldsmith to do the soundtrack. To be quite honest, I haven't been a huge fan of Goldsmith. There are some exceptions, some specific soundtracks like Alien. And then again, I don't like the full Alien score. I like the parts of the score that they left in the movie. Kind of, I'm split on Goldsmith. I He's not very melodic and very listenable, uh, to at least to my ear tastes. How can, but, how can you be split on Cherry Goldsmith of all people? Well, there are just there are tracks that I like very much. Then there are tracks that I don't really care for at all. He's kind but of but come one. on,
1: this is this is we are now talking about the guy who. Not only Made Alien, but also, you know, the scores for uh, The Omen, Total Recall, L.A. Confidential, <laughs> e- even Gremlins. for fuck's sake, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I-, I would say you definitely need more smith. <laughs> you are lacking in your life at the moment.
0: <laughs> Since we're talking about music now, let's cover also the rest of the soundtrack. So there is this... Mm. Quite popular band from the 90s featured here it's called Creed and the song is What's This Life For it's uh, featured during the party sequence and uh, also heard during the end credits of the film also a pretty good song i think it's still the only track that i like from Creed the rest is kind of uh, it's better that i shut up here there was a colleague it, it, it's yeah it, it's notably better that
1: after saying all those mean things about Smith, you shut up when <laughs> greed comes up. No, Just watch your words here, mister.
0: <laughs> you like Creed?
1: No fucking way I don't like greed. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ.
0: There was this uh, student in the media school in Espo. There was an assignment to do an introduction for something that you like. And he introduced us to the band Creed. And I was like, oh boy, some fanboy stuff ahead. That's Espo for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to listen to a few of their albums and didn't get into that stuff. Yeah, I heard a rumor
1: that Espo was for when people in Helsinki expelled all the Creed fans from amongst their Ah, So yeah, if you are listening to this podcast at any date, this is what we think about you. <laughs> oh, man. Just, just contact this podcast if you want to find better bands than Creed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> give, give, give us a shout on Facebook.
0: I enjoy the coffee scene, the breakfast scene, in the Laurie Strode, Caritate household. Great dynamics with Josh Hartnett. And this is Josh Hartnett's first feature film. Before that, he did some kind of a short film, but I believe that's it. And Jamie Lee Curtis is completely in her element here, I think. I think she's doing a fantastic job. It's so great to have her back. She's doing a really fine job, as is the rest of the cast, I would say.
1: Yeah, no major grievances from from the part of the cast. Not Withstanding, of course, a little Cool J, to whom we get
0: pretty soon. Tumultuous round melon breasts.
1: Still better lines than in any of his songs, I must say.
0: <laughs> we have a lot of jump scares in this film. I think they're amped up considerably, even since the 456. A lot. Yeah, this is this is this
1: has most jump scares in this franchise up to this point.
0: Yeah, even the title scenes can be jump scares when the Halloween October thirty first comes on screen. Well, it's not a jump scare, but there's this creepy music in the background. So, so much for the subtlety that you have in Halloween up nineteen seventy eight. It's more okay. There is no need to amplify the effect of the horror in Halloween 1978. It's just doing its thing on its own.
1: Yeah, you can see that the teenage slasher craze was creeping into the franchise at this point. You're right, you're right. It's it's a very 90s horror movie. Extremely 90s. Extremely. But basically, every character in this film has a jumpscare up on their sleeve. I mean... Every character ambushes someone else with a jump jump scare. Even the old ladies are armed with jump scares in here. Yeah. And none of the jump scares actually work. Like, that—that that is an achievement on its own. You have a film that has gazillion jump scares and none of them work.
0: I like the fuck me shit jump scare, but not. It didn't work, not, it didn't work as a jump scare, but it's a moment to, to remember. We get to the prestigious school campus. We see a lot of window flashes of Michael. Kind of flashbacks or some kind of visions from Laurie Strode. She's seeing visions of the Halloween H2O mask here and there. And they are always seen in window. And this is just too much. I don't like that they are doing it. They are overplaying it. It's not necessary. And it's confusing.
1: It? It works at times. In a sense that the visions kind of bring out the trauma that Laurie Strode is suffering. And at moments, and there are moments where it, it does kind of bring up that presence of the shape from the original films. But there are so many of those small moments when Michael Myers just appears out of the background when no one is seeing, especially towards the end of this film, that
0: it kind of loses its power. It does. This is also what seems to be Jodie Leno keefes introduction movie. I loved her in Prison Break season three. She was really menacing. You could really believe that she is as cold as she's trying to depict herself in in that one. I completely loved her character there. And of course, she's stunningly beautiful. But um, what else has she done? The most notable... CSI.
1: C- c- kind of a performance is pre- being The Crow Salvation and Red Alert 3. Okay. Anything Oscar-worthy? Where Red Alert 3. I've only come in contact with Crow Salvation since I've tracked down the whole franchise up until this point for my (laughs) great pain and suffering and, well, Red R3, which I played a bit when it came out. The
0: Prison Break series. I think the first season is worth watching in its entirety. It may be slow in the beginning, but the ending is, for me, it's worth it. The rest of it, well... It gets into repetition and uh, stupidness very quickly.
1: Yeah, I heard rumors that they have to break out in some prison in every goddamn season and then one season they have to break into a prison
0: and... <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, then we get to the melon breasts or is it cantaloupe breasts. I think this movie has a lot of funny dialogue, though. I, I like this kind of absurd things.
1: I like the moment when Alar cool chase. Wife in this film tells him to shut up and, you know, concentrate on being a security guard? (laughs) That's a life lesson I hoped that LL Cool J himself would have taken at some point.
0: Yeah, LL Cool J. When I watched this movie as a kid or as a young teenager, I I had this... uh, I was good friends with somebody who was a big Halloween fan as well. And we were wondering... What is behind this name, LL Cool J? What does it mean? And we were scratching our heads and then I got this great idea. This is what it means. Are you ready? Yeah. So it's Cool Jorro. Just so you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Other great dialogue is coming from Will when he's coming to the room of the two ladies and he's asking from them, what are you two up to tonight? Well, we thought we'd hit the town, pick up some guys, you know, drop some roofies in the drinks, and have a whole day drape evening. Ah, sounds good. Care to join us? Oh, I can't. I'm having my nipples pierced. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good line. It's a really good line, yeah. Loris throat is outside with Will. They're having some glass of white wine. I'm still not in this part. I'm still going. I finished my coffee. I'm still working on my first beer, so I'm probably getting to the wine, but we'll see. How about you?
1: Well, I'm, you know, in the vein of Laurie Strode. I'm here gobbling down vodka.
0: All right, you skipped to the vodka. Yep. Good job. I,
1: I, I think that you know, I will replace the coffee and beer in your drinking challenge simply by vodka.
0: Works for me. Laurie and Will are talking inside the bar at the restaurant, and. Uh, There's this talk about, are you tired of my bullshit? I'm a counselor. That's a great line as well. Are are you tired of my bullshit? I'm a counselor. I'm attracted to it. Then we get some, again, really strong acting from Jamie Lee Curtis when she goes outside and sees uh, it's John, his son, and what's the other guy named? Charlie, outside when they're trying to get some off-campus lunch, which is just, I believe, beer or vodka or something. Uh, I would believe it's wine. You know, simply by judging by the bottle. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh shit, I forgot this wine. So I've got some more things to do during this podcast.
1: Yeah, you have some red wine to chuck down also.
0: Oh my god. Now if I could also find my corkscrew, which is kind of the problem in this movie as well. So very strong acting. This is a great line as well. The delivery is fantastic. What the fuck do you think you're doing? That whole scene is really great. And whenever I think of this movie, this is the scene that I think of immediately. (laughs) Also because when I was a teenager, I believe my friend went to the toilet. And then I had this habit that when anyone went to the toilet, I would just put the uh, disc on repeat. So you have this A and B part where you kind of repeat the disc and then it would just uh, replay and replay and replay this. What the fuck do you think you're doing? What the fuck do you think you're doing? Yes, I'm not normal.
1: Yeah, you have some
0: problems, you know. I know, serious problems. Want to talk about the psycho reference?
1: Well, for me, actually. I I know a lot of people are against it. And I can kind of understand that, seeing how absolutely obvious it is. Yeah. Yeah, down to the music cue and using the same car. But, you know, it, it never bothered me. I always thought that it, it was it
0: was quite nice, quite harmless in the end. Yeah, it's harmless. Only on this viewing I realized that they're actually using the Psycho music in the background. How, I, I can't understand how how I have missed that before, but I admit that I have never been a huge Psycho fan, so maybe that's the reason. And you know, to their credit at the sound department, they do fade it in quite quite nicely. Yeah, it's okay. Maybe they could have done without the music part. Could have been more subtle, but it's okay. Yeah, like, like I said, never bothered me. And there's a jump scare with Jamie Lee Curtis and her actual mother, <laughs> of course.
1: Yeah, like I said, even the old ladies are, are jump scares.
0: Yeah. In this one. Then there is a remote-controlled, uh, very old car. Michael comes to the school skates and somehow the engine is able to shut itself down, or what appears like that, or then there is an alternative explanation. This is the scientific explanation that I can come up from the material what we have here. So obviously, Michael is still in the car, but he's crouching, so you cannot see him on the window. And in the meanwhile, he's clicking the engine off, and then crawling to the back seats, then having some kind of a hole, and coming through the back door somewhere there, and then, without LL Cool noticing anything, he goes past him by the gates. And what a foolish guy, you know. But of course, in real life, of course, you would hear somebody that is walking just past you like that. What did it mean when Will said to Laurie that... Uh, when Laurie was explaining his whole history, What was Will just kind of not believing what Laurie was saying? Or why does Will say this line... Well that's sucky. I think Will did not quite
1: believe Laurie or did not understand how grave the situation was.
0: Yeah, there's that or but then I wondered why is this sucky in quotation marks in the subtitles. I would say it's up to
1: highlight that, you know, what Will is trying to use in that scene is this youthful language. Oh, yeah. But he himself presents an age group that would not use words like sucky. But then again, the
0: students at the school who he's supervising could use that term. That makes sense. Some kind of a cultural thing. So maybe it was a trendy word in the 90s. And maybe now. Well, let's get back to the masks. So there's Halloween 6 mask. Then there is the shitshow mask that they shot with but during production the director decided that they will change the mask and it's a good idea that they did however the original mask uh, shit show mask is still visible in many of the scenes uh, in most of the parts it's in the shadow and not so visible and in a sense i like that michael's face kind of keeps changing throughout the movie and i believe in the original halloween They also changed the mask sometimes, but the Halloween masks that they used were quite similar to each other. But all this changing of the masks and changing of the lighting and the angles, this kind of gives the whole mask thing, like, it makes it more alive, which is great. It doesn't work so well here because the mask is terrible. So there's the H6 mask, shitshow mask, uh, the new mask that replaced the shitshow mask, and then there's the CGI mask. Did I miss anything? So at least four masks. Four is the amount of masks I've come around yeah. in this movie. And the CGI mask is in the corkscrew situation when Charlie is about to get the corkscrew from the whatever it is. the uh, dispenser. Yeah. Or disposal. Yeah, this is very confusing, this garbage disposal thing, because I've never seen anything like this uh, myself in real life. Maybe it's some kind of a... United States thing again. Yeah, it is. at least if you are going with horror movies. Yeah. So what the hell is it supposed to do? So uh, you can grind some garbage in it, I believe, but it's very small and then I would what? Say it's,
1: yeah. you know meant for small bones and tendons and you know leftovers like that. For example, eating meat.
0: Okay. So you then so, gr- something
1: that's you know. Big enough that you don't just want to wash it down the drain,
0: yeah.
1: but not big enough that, you know, you would necessarily separate it from the rest of the mess on your plate, which you are just going to, you know, wash off the plate before putting the plate to a dishwasher right. or rinse off
0: the plate. Right. Okay. So this is where we see the CGI mask. and. Um... Maybe you watched this scene in the producer's cut, and the picture quality in this uh, hundredth of generation VHS copy—it's hard to see actually what's going on there. But looks like the CGI is still not there, or was it? Yeah, to me it looks like it's—it it looks like the the first mask they used. It does, they... for sure. It's not the same mask that you see in the final product. So yeah.
1: Yeah, this, I mean, once again, we are going off with extremely many times copied bootlet here.
0: So the picture quality is not HD. And what could be the story behind the whole CGI? Because was it really necessary? Because you could have potentially used green screen. then in the green screen picture, of course remove the green screen and then leave Michael and then uh, superimpose the new Michael on top of the Michael that you see here and then just have the actor have the new new mask i I think that could have worked just fine yeah when I compared this
1: scene on the on this work print we we found to the theatrical version, I really don't see the change. Like the only noticeable difference in this scene between this work print and the theatrical version is the fact that in theatrical version, you get this one shot of Michael's eye and it has the reflection of Charlie's face. You you can see that in Michael's eye. And that reflection is missing from is
0: this it? work print. Really? Let me see. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it's not yet added to the image.
1: Yeah, but you know, adding that kind of a, well, in my opinion, would go to the editing trickery.
0: Yeah, it also looks like this eye shot has kind of a some some kind of a black square in the middle of that eye, or maybe it's just the eye, and the bootleg is terrible. It's weird.
1: I, I'm not sure. You know, it it seems the square looks complete enough, and the the eye surrounding the square looks clear enough in the bootleg that I wouldn't say that the square is there for due to the low quality of this bootleg.
0: Yeah, I agree. Agree. This is my main question. Why was the? Maybe this is just. This is some kind of a bad decision from somebody who gave the order to actually replace it with CGI because with editing, you could have just completely removed that whole shot. I don't think it's necessary at all. There's, in fact, a fan-made version of the scene where they have simply removed the shot with the CGI mask. It. I think it's maybe even better. I mean, you get... The moment when Charlie turns to Michael, you see Michael for a split second, then it cuts back to Charlie, then it would cut directly to the eye close-up, and then continue on to the next scene. Perhaps they were thinking that it wouldn't work very well, like cinematography rules-wise, because you don't show the face enough before you get the close-up of the eye, but I didn't find that distracting at all. Even the final mask, like I said, the eyes can be seen too much through the mask, which is distracting. And they are not uh, putting the eyes enough, maybe perhaps to the shadow, to kind of hide it. In every other movie, it's harder to see Michael's eyes. Especially in Halloween 6, you cannot see his eyes, I think, in any moment.
1: That is uh, the choice to show Michael's eyes so clearly here. It's kind of a surprising.
0: Yeah. The part which I didn't like about Chris Duran's acting or the advice that he was given to act is the drunken Michael moment, especially in the ending. Or, let's say, pretty much all the moments when Michael is standing up. I don't like the choreography. When Michael flies through the windshield to the road and stands up, it's supposed to be a throwback to the original Halloween. But he looks like he is waking up up on the road, like, completely drunk, then turning his head, like, where am I?
1: Yeah, it, it is. You can see what they were trying to pull off here.
0: It's just too bad that they didn't succeed on it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was supposed to be kind of a comedic moment for just having some fun on Michael's expense. I get it, but it doesn't work.
1: And then again, this is also the movie that has Perhaps most notably varying movements from Michael's part. Like later on, at the very end of the movie, there is that moment where Michael even acts kind of like scared and panicked at the moment when, you know, he's being pinned down between the tree and the car and he finally comes to his senses after the crash or being pinned down and...
0: He starts to kind of uh, feel around his head. Yeah, interesting choice. Uh, Still don't know what they were kind of trying to do there.
1: I would say what they were, or you know, the sense I get is that they were trying
0: to humanize Michael on that moment. Oh yeah, and the whole reaching of the hands. There are some people who absolutely hate this reaching of the hands. For me, uh, it kind of works. It kind of can be interpreted in two ways. It's Michael trying his best to kill Laurie Stroud with his hand or just humanely trying to reach out and say something.
1: Yeah, you know, I actually quite love the final scene of the movie. And to me, that moment in this film is the moment
0: that kind of makes the movie for me. Yeah, very interesting facial impressions in the end from Laurie It kind of seems like that for a moment she feels something for Michael and maybe that she feels that it's unfortunate that it has come to this and after all there must be something in there still that is human. And then she realizes that whatever there may be left, it's not enough. She thinks about all the people and friends and colleagues and lovers that have gone because of his rage and she just finally gives up on that thought and notices Michael's bluff and cuts off the head. again, it's
1: never actually answered if if it's bluff from Michael's side. Like, this is the moment when in my opinion, Chris Durant really, really earns his marks as Michael and really pulls the performance
0: out of the park. Yeah, no major complaints about Chris Durant in the end. This Few shots are what I don't really like.
1: Yeah, but again, there's basically few shots with every actor who has done Michael Myers in these movies. You're right. They're, yeah. not, they're not so you know problematic for me. As, as long as the actor finally does manage to do something... Really his own something new or something really effective at the end of the film or at some part of the film so that you can actually point out to some moment on any given Halloween film and, you know, say that that's the moment when the actor playing Michael at each time kind of a uh, really shows his talents through all the limitations that Michael as a character puts on to the actor and what kind of a performance he can give. And yeah. for Chris Durand this ending this end scene is is the moment where you finally have to acknowledge that the dude has some talent and he he can eventually pull off extremely complicated performance of Michael Myers even though Michael Myers' as a character limits the actor to stay underneath the blue overalls and white mask, which is a huge disadvantage to any
0: actor trying to, you know, play Michael Myers. Uh, I have never played Michael Myers, uh, well, except in my old fan film when I was a teenager. But I can imagine playing Michael Myers being actually really hard because... It's it's not only just walking from point A to point B. In some level, it's still you. It's it's just you, but just to be you in front of the camera, especially if you are not like an accomplished actor or even a stuntman, like it was the case for the original Michael Myers, Nick Castle. So. Yeah, and with
1: Michael, it, it it comes also to that that. Michael himself in these movies has to be a certain kind of character. Like he, you, he, he, he has to be seen as strong, aggressive, menacing, cat-like. all, all these qualities that we tie to Michael Myers as a, as a character. And the actor playing Michael Myers has to bring those aspects to the surface, and at the same time he has to wear. White mask, which completely removes your ability to use facial expressions at all. It limits your sight. And I have to tip my hat to, I I would say, most of the actors that have played Michael Myers.
0: Chris Durand is definitely one of the better Michael Myerses out there.
1: Well, he, like I said, he manages to make the character more human on the
0: last moment. I wonder if there were any Michael Myers actors that also were dancers. I would imagine that a dancer would have a pretty good clue and ability to play a role like this. The control of his muscles and sense of movement and all that. Then we got to the end credits after this, the most emotional scenes in the franchise. The credits end in the part where we commemorate Donald Pleasence. Except it's misspelled as Donald Placental Fluid. No, I'm kidding. But there it, there should be an E, but there's an A at the end of the sense. So they didn't get it right here, pretty much either. I wonder if they're trying to do that with the new one. I don't think so. They had their tries.
1: Yeah, who knows, you know. Maybe they try to fix it up after all these years, just so that Jason Bloom can point himself and. Bring out to public like how he finally fixed something that Vi- Dimension films never could pull off. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the thing that you know explains the incredibly high IMDb score that the film now ha- has at the moment. Or the critics are extremely fabricasted by the fact that they finally managed to spell Donald Pleasence's name right at the
0: end credits or at the dedication. Maybe they actually made a film that was... Somewhat even worth of putting that name in the credits. Like, having the name as a commemorative thing in Halloween 6 seems like a joke.
1: Seeing what the end product is, yeah, it does. And not even that funny of a joke.
0: No, some random trivia. A little cool chase line, comb your hair, was ad-libbed. So, some kind of ADR added to it. Inspired by Josh Hartnett's messy haircut. This line, I thought, was always kind of really weird. Like, and then I, had, I used to wonder, okay, so the hair is messy, so did they actually make the haircut in all of those scenes messy, just so that LL Cool can say, comb your hair. So it was something that was, ad- was added in post. This was Janet Lee's first role in a feature film for 18 years. This came as a surprise to me as well. And Her previous theatrical film was The Fog. Which you love so much, as I heard, uh, which also starred her daughter Jamie Lee Curtis.
1: I wonder if that has been, you know, embarrassing topic at the family Christmas dinner. Janet Lee uh, complaining to her daughter how the daughter keeps dragging her into these not so good horror movies, and she Janet
0: still is an actress who put off the role in Psycho. Yeah. This reminds me of what Jamie Lee Curtis said in one of those interviews, this very short five-minute documentary clip. She said that this project came about like she was thinking to herself, well, I'm still in the business. I can get a job. I can get a job. That felt very much like she was only doing it for the money from the beginning. That's kind of what I was reading in between the lines. I think she kind of slipped it. I'm still an actor, I can still get a job, so let's do Halloween H2O.
1: Uh, well, to her defense, I would also be surprised that I would still be able to get a job in films after showing up in the
0: fog. <laughs> yeah. I know you're the eternal fan, but h- hold your <laughs> horses. <laughs>
1: that that That's that that I why I would think that fog is a terrible film, but... You know, tr- just remind
0: me, why is John Carpenter such of a hot shit in horror movies? Uh, well, it's up to... You could question that, because John Carpenter is a mixed bag. He has some real nice gems, and but for the most of it, maybe not so shiny objects the rest of it. Yeah, that is true.
1: That is true. Yeah. Uh, uh, after all the uh, this I give out to the fog, and for that part to John Carpenter even I admit that he has done extremely effective and extremely memorable
0: films during his career we should add that it wasn't the only demand that John Carpenter had for directing this movie, he wanted 10 million and he wanted a 3 movie deal and the Akkad said no, interesting but perhaps this was around I
1: could could believe that it has been so that Akkad is ready to give him the three-movie deal and then John Carpenter also demands that there would be, th- be a sequel to The Fog. And at that point, Akkad is like, <laughs> get out of my fucking office.
0: Yeah, we first make the sequel to The Fog, The Fog 2, and then we make Halloween Edge 2.
1: Yeah. Get out of here, John, you're drunk and I never want to see you here again. <laughs> well, I'm just a hippie capitalist,
0: John. So. <laughs> Before Josh Hartnett knew that Jamie Lee Curtis was involved, uh, Josh Hartnett wasn't sure if he wanted to even audition for this role, which is funny because it's his first movie. So maybe he
1: didn't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At that point, Josh Hartnett was at the top of his career and he had so many opportunities to choose from.
0: Definitely. Well, maybe with that pretty face, you know, Harvey Weinstein would be happy. (laughs) (laughs)
1: But,
0: <laughs> uh, but he was quoted as saying, just hardened, Halloween 7, is that going straight to video or is that going straight to hell? <laughs> Perhaps the thing that I would also ask myself. This is the shortest Halloween movie of the series, runtime 86 minutes. Also
1: a plus, on its own right.
0: Chris Durant played a stunt double for the masked killer in Scream 2. There is a plethora of people related to the script. It was originally penned by Robert Zappia, and uh, it was planned to go, apparently, if we are to believe IMDB. It was planned to go to direct to video after the modest box office performance of Halloween 6. Uh, Zappia's original script was set in a fenced-in boarding school, as does the finished film. However, Curtis expressed interest in returning to the series. Then, uh, Kevin Williamson, who was coming off his blockbuster success with Scream, was asked by the Dimension Films to pen a treatment. When the VGA deemed that Williamson did not deserve writing credit on the screenplay, Dimension Films, hoping to market the film as from the creators of Scream, offered Zapia more money to share the writing credit. Zapia declined, and Williamson only possesses executive producer credit on the finished film. Director Steve Miner. Steve Miner has directed uh, Friday the 13th Part 2.
1: Also Part 3. Right. the yeah. epic horror masterpiece Warwalk, which he also did
0: before, you know, jumping on H20. Nothing special his movies as far as I've seen.
1: Well, many consider, you know, Parts 2 and Part 3 of the Friday the 13th franchise kind of a groundbreakers. In the sense that part two is finally the film that gives you Jason Voorhees, and part three is considered by many to be the best entry in the Friday
0: the Thirteenth. Well, p- part three, yeah, we we can definitely give credit for Steve Miner for being part of the films that contributed a lot to the character and the character's development. First of all, the kind of birth of the actual character in part two, as he is known, and then part three given the mask. But, yeah, part three is, as is part two, they are both terribly slow, nothing happens, people get killed. It's a very simple horror. Very, very, very. Absolutely nothing happens in part three. He gets the mask, that's it.
1: Well, that's kind of the case with Warlock also. Okay. It also, you know, became a franchise and got two sequels, because it happened to come out at a time when, basically, if you made a movie, you I'll
0: get at least two sequels right away. <laughs> Let's jump into the script once more. There was um, When Williamson first was outlining Halloween H2O, he created the storyline in which Strode faked her on death. And um, there was a specific retconning of the character's death in Halloween 4. Because in Williamson's treatment, there are scenes in the Hillcrest uh, area And a student does a report on Michael Myers' killing spree mentioning the death of Jamie uh, with flashbacks to 4, 5, and 6 mentioned in the text. And then Carrie Laurie responds to hearing the student's report on the death of the daughter by going into a restroom and throwing up. Yeah. Some differences in the script. In this second draft that I read, there's a school custodian fiddling with a school bus engine around the campus. And Carrie Tate, Laurie Strode, is giving him A hard time about that. Complaining something about it. Taking too long or something. Then there is uh, the cops see the aftermath of Michael's attack on Marion and the apartment. Uh, The body of of Marion is is shown. Uh, Photos are taken of Jimmy's corpse in the same house. Uh, There's a disease called Myers, which is misspelled in the script throughout. It's M-E-Y-E. When it should be M-Y-E-R-S Also I remember that in the Finnish subtitles it was misspelled for some reason Cops investigate in the crime scene Blood spatters, shoe stains Uh, In place of Ellacool J there's a girl character called Hattie She will be killed during the script of course Kerry finds a tabloid with the headline Serial killer Michael Myers really alien from outer space Then there is Officer Carter. He sees a dream where his throat is slit by Michael. And then later on, he gets actually killed. Some really weird, like, concentrations of, like, why is this officer important? I'm not sure. Um, Then there is a character called Eddie. It's a boyfriend of another character, Amy. I suppose these are supposed to be uh, Charlie and the Luno keefe character. Eddie is killed with a meat cleaver. Then Amy is pushed through a window glass and stabbed with a piece of glass. Uh, Kerry is the one who sees the shape behind the gates of the academy during the classroom scene, instead of Molly. Uh, the police is trying to track down information in a folder. This is the Marion Chambers Marion Whittington, Pamela Whittington character's folder, which has an encrypted phone number. To the Hillcrest Academy. The police tracks down. Carrie Tate at the Academy. Carrie hears about the death of Amy. She is shocked. Uh, Michael kills a student. In the pool. In the campus. Holds her head under the water. Then stabs her. And she starts floating lifelessly in the water. Then there is a character called Linda. Also a student. And gets her throat slit. Uh, John does a sick Halloween prank. At the expense of Carrie or Laurie. There is a piece of dialogue that is so golden that we should go through it. Okay. Well, basically, John has the Michael Myers mask on, and then John with the Michael Myers mask is standing above Linda's lifeless body, knife raised high in the air, dripping blood. Then we got a shot on Carrie. Her legs buckle. She struggles to stay standing. Carrie screams Michael! No! And then an even more bizarre sight The shape starts to chuckle His shoulders bobbing up and down Bending over slightly at the waist Linda's lifeless body starts trembling with laughter The shape reaches up to his mask Pulls it off It's John John says That was classic Imitating Carrie Michael no! <laughs> That's pretty sick Molly's thrown down from a bell tower With a rope around her neck And yes, she dies in this treatment. In this neck-breaking treatment. Will has been thrown into the oven close ablaze. There's some pretty sick shit in the script. Uh, Laurie Strode's tombstone, as I mentioned, is in her bedroom. And in the end battle, John saves Carrie from a stab to the heart by shooting Michael. There's also a funny moment where Will shows his determination to stay with Laurie even after Laurie tells to Will that she is actually Laurie John isn't too happy to learn in this script that actually his uncle is a serial killer, Michael Myers so this is kind of a surprise for everyone and uh, Will says, so you're really Michael Myers' sister? Carrie says, yeah. Will says, do we have to invite him to the wedding? And Carrie, la- <laughs> Carrie laughs more out of relief than anything. Those are some of the key moments of that. Yeah. Yeah, comparing
1: the final film for, of, to the script, you kind of can see how they s- started to change how the story progresses to make it suit more for this. At the time, teenage audiences and this teenage thruster
0: craze that was going on. Yeah, there is even another draft of the script, if we are, again, to trust IMDB trivia at all, which says that Charlie was intended to be the killer in this one other draft, acting as Michael Myers' copycat killer. Oh, God. But it's a kind of, this script is pretty bad, and it became okay for the movie. It seems like this is really like the the revenge of Laurie Strode.
1: Yeah, the final third of the movie really is pretty much just this cathartic experience to the audiences who have gone with the franchise this far and also to Laurie as a character. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much just, you know, Laurie dis- dishing out punishment to Michael and Michael finally being at the
0: receiving end. I have to say, well, we could put this into segments, this movie. The first act ends at the moment when the character and the environment introductions are done and we're moving to the actual plot. So this, I would say, takes place somewhere when Laurie and John are outside of the campus and Laurie sees John outside and gives the car ride back to the campus and this is pretty much where all the killings and stuff start to happen well there
1: has been the first kills at the very end of the film
0: which also shows michael
1: becoming aware about Laurie strode's whereabouts
0: sure i would say that the first act kind of starts to go away dissipate when there's the glass scene, and Molly is looking outside of the window and sees Michael Myers. That's when the action starts happening. Let's say it's around there. The second act is pretty good. I like it. Nice character development. I have to say the third act of the movie is the most boring for me. I don't so much enjoy all the chase scenes. It's kind of -of run-of-the-mill for me. Nothing that we haven't exactly seen before, and many of the Michael Myers stuff is recycled from the past to commemorate tip the hat. Yeah, then again
1: you know, I never had any problem, problems problems with it. Like, I I completely see where you're coming from and I I fully agree on them reusing ideas and styles and I even agree with with the fact that the teenage slasher style here kind of a hurts a bit the way how the third act plays out. Michael is less effective this time around.
0: There is also something that is problematic with the setting. In the first and the second film and pretty much all the other films, it was about this tight, small community in their respective houses. Now what we have here is a school campus in California. So far away from Haddonfield. But but still its own community. Still its own community. I have trouble pinpointing what is the actual problem here. But maybe it's the fact that we cannot quite get and grasp the actual size and the environment of the campus in this film. Whereas in the first Halloween, as an example, it's very clear... Where stuff is happening. There's the Doyle's house. There's the Wallace house. That's our main area of interest in the third act and some of the second act. So we get really familiar with this.
1: Yeah, but, this entry yeah. also kind of a place of like a, like a locked room scenario compared to the first two uh, uh, or compared to the first film, which happened in a suburban area and which had all these openness of the town of Haddonfield that was around the houses where the film took place. And this one, on the other hand, takes place on on an unlimited area that has been gated off from the town and the community by the gates that surround the campus area. So in here, you are kind of more in a locked space. It works to an extent. But like I said, you know, none of these things bother me that much. Yeah. With, with all these caveats, I still find this quite enjoyable film, something that goes past fast. It's easy to watch. You can yeah. every now and then put it in and, you know, spend that 80 minutes and it, it, it doesn't feel that long of a time investment. Time goes fast when you are watching this one. Unlike maybe the previous two entries on this franchise.
0: Yeah, it does. The pacing is pretty good. It's shot well and it's actually lit pretty well. The cinematography guy is now Darren Okada. Yeah, he has worked a lot with Steve Miner. Again, he like in Halloween 4, the cinematography is done by a... Guy with uh, similar credits to his name, I would say. So a lot of comedies and a lot of TV. So completely different lighting there. Comedies have like a more of a flat and more bright lighting. Obviously, I think where people with the lighting shine the best are, <laughs> funnily enough, horror movies where there is less light to be used. There you actually get to play a lot with the mood and atmosphere. But that that said, it would be interesting to see like a combination, like to see a romantic comedy with spooky lighting.
1: <laughs> I, I would say it has been done. I just can't get the name of the film to my mind at the moment. Oh? So again, you know, if you want to see a movie that bends in romance and horror, I would say Coppola's Dragula hmm.
0: is something worth checking out. So Halloween H20 is the seventh film in the series. It's Pronounced in English usually H2O. As my understanding goes, the H stands for age, as in how old are you. So Halloween is 20 at this point. So thus H20 or H2O. But it's also the chemical short for water. In this case, of course, the O is an actual O, not zero. And in Finnish, when you say it has the chemical short it sounds different than if you would say h20 well so this caused a bit of a confusion for some rental services some thought that it was h20 as the chemical short i can understand the confusion and this is kind of the part of the story how we got to know each other henrik and me because I was looking at uh, Henrik's uh, review on the website that he was writing on before and (laughs) during the proofreading process, well, it was transferred to H2O as the chemical short. So Håkaks O in Finnish. That's pretty much I already told the story.
1: Yeah, it caused quite a commotion between the two of us at the moment Uh, or back at the moment I, I don't have a copy of the email you sent me, you know, uh, after you found out about that goof on the website, but...
0: Darn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I complained to the website about this horrible spelling mistake, so... And then I got in talks with Henrik, and it was clear then that it was not a mistake on Henrik's part.
1: It, it, it always helps a lot to point the accusing finger to the side admin. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember who who that guy was? Do you have any idea? I I never even learned his name. It, it was like it was working for your site, The Entertainment and Network, so that we never met face-to-face. Yeah. We only dealt with each other on that site through emails.
0: I think after almost 15 years... I think that guy deserves Halloween H2O as a gift for his contributions <laughs> for this podcast. Maybe we should try to, you know, find him out through Reddit or something like that. Yeah, we should. I remember that during those years, so many things, so many more things happened to happen inside one single year. One single year was a big event in itself. Nowadays I feel like I'm not being half as productive even if I wanted to. The age is catching up on me I guess. I would say it's more the pressure
1: from the society. It's the societal pressure which is catching up on you. Back on those days you know we were young and we were kids and As long as we showed up at school, everything was cool and society expected nothing from us that, except that, you know, we passed the math exam. But today, you know, you have to pay rent and buy your own food and pay electricity and all that nonsense. So, of course, you know, that all takes time from making movie podcasts or running internet websites.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I kind of started this podcast also kind of believing that it would be somewhat easy to make a podcast well in comparison to a vodcast or a video show, and that pretty much checks out. It's true, it's easier to do a podcast than a video, but still, there is a hell of a lot of work to do with this one. It takes a gargantuan amount of time of my life right now. Even though I try, kind of do something else as well, and I manage. But yeah, be careful what you start.
1: But then again, I, I also have to point out the fact that this is part
0: of the hell of your own making. We are going through here. I don't have a problem with that. I'm still having a lot, a lot of fun with this.
1: I mean, who, who was the mastermind? Automatically decided that from the beginning of this podcast, we are going, we should go venture out. You know outside of our comfort zones for the first episode. I I don't know about you, but I haven't found the comfort zone yet. (laughs) The the first one was a a Hitchcockian masterpiece. The second one was a Coen Brothers production. And now we are trying to cover the entire Halloween franchise against extremely hard
0: deadlines. So, you know... I know somebody didn't get their maths quite right. I was counting that we would have to do only, in one case, two episodes in one week, but it turns out to be a little bit more than that.
1: Yeah, but, you know, also, this is a monster of a franchise. It is. It's it's ten movies and part six had a fucking million
0: versions of it. (laughs) So, (sighs) I can tell you that I will have a sigh of relief when we finish this one and in that sense it's good that we're kind of picking up the face as far as the recording goes so we can get something else
1: yeah i also i'll I'll be you know happy man when we finally wrap the halloween franchise (laughs) and and then then you know we can
0: think about you know what we want to check out then but already so far this has been i think a lot of fun and I've never been as knowledgeable about Halloween series as I am now which is kind of surprising to me as well but you know I'm not much of a script reader but now because this situation kind of it's not forcing me to but I want to have also some original material here a little bit in our show in comparison to all the thousands of other podcasts so it's kind of been fun to read through the scripts gives you a better understanding of this series
1: yeah in case you know anyone listening this is wondering the fact is that doing this podcast is quite a lot of work and the background work and all all the checking we have to do
0: before recording an episode is extremely lot yeah but it's great it's I've wanted to do something like this for so long and, you know, it's so hard to find somebody who would like to do something like this, believe it or not. I don't understand it, but it is.
1: I Um, I guess it's because, you know, in today's society, mentally ill persons get locked up in facilities. mm, Sanitariums.
0: Yeah. H2O business side of things uh, in terms of total growth. Wikipedia tells us that Halloween H2O is the highest grossing film in the whole Halloween franchise. Well, we will see which one will be the biggest grocer when the new one comes out because this is kind of a similar situation and let's see if the crowd is is still interested after 20 years to kind of bump up the gross even further. Anyway, it was released on August 5th, 1998 in the US and later in many other countries. It cost 17 million to produce and returned a nice little 55 million in domestic box office sales with an opening weekend of sixteen. 0.1 0.1 million dollars and 24.7 million dollars since its Wednesday debut. And as for video DVD, the film grossed over 21 million. So a considerable boost since Halloween 6. And now let's check out the inflation as well. Enough to warrant a sequel, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Adjusted for inflation the gross of Halloween H2O. It was 55 million back in 98, and it would today be the same as 84 million. That's pretty high for horror film, especially Uh, now.
1: Yeah, especially as simple horror film
0: as H20 is in its core. Wanna make any guesses how much Halloween 2018 will make? Mm -hmm.
1: To say on the limb here. Without seeing any figures, for example, its budget and marketing? Its budget, I believe, is 10 million estimated. Okay, so basically, once again, one of these lower Plumhouse features, or, you know,
0: the average average Plumhouse budget. If you want to keep it simple, I'm not sure if you need so many millions. So it could be actually a good thing, and it was shot only in... Was it three weeks, so similar to the original Halloween.
1: Okay, seeing that it is from Plumhouse, there is going to be... It's going to be plus because Plumhouse is on rise amongst horror fans at the moment as a quality production house. There is an indie director attached to the project and it has returning cast to lure in more of the fans of the franchise. What? Not know, you know, where I dared pl- to put how much it is could pull off. It's I I would say it's it's not gonna be as big of a case case as was the paranormal activity film. Yeah. So it, it it's not gonna rake those kind of millions. But this could still turn out pretty big for Plumhouse. So I I I would make a guess. It's going to Going to the top of over uh, hundred, 100 million. Whoa, that's generous. Yeah, it, it could go... But, well, it depends on how much the franchise has a pulling power at this point. Because, you know, the older horror crowd is most likely going to be excited about a new theatrical release for a Halloween film. But is there enough of those and... How tempting this franchise is to the younger crowd of horror fans, but then again, Halloween is a legendary franchise. It it could go over two hundred million. I I would say over two hundred million, maybe two twenty
0: <laughs> total. After all, it's really spectacular if it even goes over hundred million. That usually doesn't happen for a horror movie, as far as I know my stats about these things, but. I will be very, I would say, generous here and say that it will, since there's already been something like this, that is Halloween H2O in its idea, in a way, I will say, I think I'm being generous here, let's say it, it will rake 72 million dollars in the box office. Okay, that it would still be quite a good pull-off. Yeah, we'll see. What about the opening weekend? That's harder. i I'm bad at estimating such things. I'll just, I'll just throw something. Uh, 28 million. Maybe that's a little low. Let's say 32.
1: Maybe, you know, I should put my total in somewhere 120 hundred, 150 million. That's at epic. I hope it succeeds, though. At which point, you know, I I could see that. Hard to say about opening weekend. Yeah. Real hard to say about opening weekend. Yep. I I don't know. You know, maybe it would have to rake in something like sixty or seventy million, but I I don't believe it can pull that off. Me neither. Yeah. Maybe I'm with you on the opening weekend box office take.
0: Yeah, that's good. Uh, the critical response and the premiere. Uh, Rot- Rotten Tomatoes Halloween H2O received an approval rating of only 51% on the internet review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes based on 57 reviews the general consensus being quote Halloween H2O is the best of the many sequels yet still pales in comparison to the original Halloween end quote and the audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of B-2 And on an A plus to F scale. Why do you think this movie is so split in the middle in the reviews? Or why is it so in the middle? If you go by the IMDb score at least, you can see that Halloween 6 is rated as high as 5 out of 10. Whereas Halloween H2O stands around 5.7. That... I never really understood why people really don't seem to like this movie. I mean, it's a pretty decent return. It's okay. I can buy it. I can roll with it. It's fine. I had a good time. At least for the first two acts. And some of the third act as well. It's okay. Yeah, if if
1: I would be pointing fingers, I would suspect it's the fact that it feels so much like a teenage slasher.
0: Perhaps that's it. Uh, it. I would argue it's not a scary movie. It's not very no, scary.
1: That that it's not. And there is also a big pushback against their whole teenage slasher subgenre of horror films, where many horror fans kind of uh, learned to see the whole uh, subgenre as a kind of a on horror films
0: maybe it's also the history of this movie that affects it so it was released two years after the first Scream it could be that this movie was just a tad too much after Scream and possible imitators of the time and it was not given the credit that it might have deserved a little more even though I have also my issues with this film or the film has the issues, not so much me.
1: Yep, uh, that could very much be it. Because at at that point the whole market was flooded with Scream imitators. All Mm -hmm. of them kind of uh, were being a little bit worse than the movie that became before and there being some real stinkers that still kind of a managed to pull themselves into the surface at the time. For example, the uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer films. And with, with all of that be happening, you know, age 20 appearing as a being another teenage slasher amongst all the teenage slashers. I, I would say it hurt the film. It, it, it could have fared better. Would it have been more hardcore and more clearly a horror film.
0: Yeah. Again, I'm surprised how much trouble I have actually pinpointing what is the my main issue with this film. I believe it has to do with the setting and the, the openness of it and the unknown features of it. The lack of suspense... In the third act, for me, the lack of claustrophobia, desperation—I'm I- just not feeling it.
1: Yeah, and I—I I would say that neither is anyone else, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Like those are aspects that are not there in this movie. It's a—it's an enjoyable and fun watch, but you know, it, it's not—not not that tense and not that scary. No, even I mean, though it tries to tries its hardest with the jump scares,
0: it's it's an okay like a third episode in the Laurie Strode trilogy. It's a good like ending to the Laurie Strode story, and it's a like a tolerable ending to the Halloween franchise. And they should have left it alone. At least they never should have made the sequel to this one, which is what we are going to tackle next, but uh, yeah, it's not in the ballpark of Halloween 1 and 2, that, that's clear to everyone. It's still an enjoyable return and uh, it has the advantage in the sense that the sequels Halloween 4, 5 and 6 were so terrible that this is a welcome return to partly to form.
1: So I take it that you would reco- recommend Halloween 20?
0: Yes, I would recommend it. Even if we consider all the problems that it has, perhaps the mask and the fact that it's not particularly scary, it is still quite an improvement compared to the late, uh, the older shit shows that we watched, Halloween 5 and 6. It, it is kind of a run-of-the-mill 90s horror movie in the sense of all the traits that it has from The Scream, etc. But it's an enjoyable return and goes by quickly as you pointed out. So, Henrik, would you recommend Halloween H20? Even with
1: all the flaws that this movie has, which for me are not that grave, and well, taking into account that I'm more forgiving for the 90s teen- teenage slasher elements than you are, yeah, I, I would recommend H20. It's it's not uh, any kind of a timeless classic it's not a movie that you will return to regularly, but it's it's film that you can watch every now and then and not feel like you've wasted your time doing so. So yeah, recommendation from here. Also, it's nice to see Halloween franchise still being able to get back on track somewhat, getting back to the... More of the older roots that the franchise had before all this psychic nonsense that started started up and creeped into it. So, yeah, I I think it's a it's a worthy anniversary event, and it's an okay movie. It's 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 a teenage slasher that's a that's a better film than ninety percent of teenage slasher's.
0: Exactly, it's a somewhat decent return. And it could have served as a pretty passable finish line for this series in this canon. However, it was too successful for its own good. Therefore, we have to tackle Halloween Resurrection next, which is not as good.
1: Now, Resurrection is actually a case example on what Halloween 20 years later could have been had no one had any interest in making a good movie or any understanding on what they were doing when they were shooting this film.
0: How was your Halloween H2O challenge? Did you finish all the drinks that you set out to drink?
1: I have to, uh, for my, my shame, I have to confess that I actually fall behind <laughs> the road when it ca- came to all, all that wine consumption. I, I just you know, can't chuck down a full glass of white chardonnay that fast.
0: Yeah, it's the same for me. I'm even worse than you. I was barely able to finish one and a half beers, but I have to give it for Laurie throat. She wins this round.
1: She, she old, we, wins the round fl- with, with flying colors.
0: Yeah, good old alcoholic you. <laughs> well, next time, um, Halloween Resurrection. We will see you then, and uh, it has to be done. Hope you will still join us, and maybe we can find some redeeming qualities in this gem with our friend Buster Rhymes, but you have to check that one out.
1: Yeah, at this point, it's already become a commitment that you just have to keep.
0: Indeed. It's over soon, guys. It's over soon. But until next week, bye-bye. Bye.